Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Explicit Measures podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Today's topic is going to be around our change management. This is an article that was released by Microsoft right after, it's actually in the Fabric adoption roadmap. Some things have been updated, right? It used to be the Power BI adoption roadmap. Now it has changed to Fabric. So now going through the Fabric experience, uh, there is uh, some new articles that have been coming out, and we're going to talk today around the change management piece of this. It's kind of towards the end of the article. The adoption roadmap is amazing. There's a ton of content in there, and I highly recommend if you are a leader or running your Power BI deployment, go read this from Microsoft. This is just one of the of the portions of articles around this one. Before we do that, let's just do some news. Tommy, you have any news or anything that came out recently on the blogs? Yeah, um, I've been seeing Tableau editors actually been doing some two really great blogs around the ability to build a semantic model right off of everything in Fabric. Uh, I think actually our uh, good friend Johnny Winter uh, uh, wrote one. I know that Kurt's been working on them too. I don't know if I would have the same uh, uh, positive attitude. So I messaged you guys this week and I just want to put a friendly uh, PSA out there compared to how we've always dealt with data types and all of our models that we've really built to date. Um, basically, I'll give the workflow, pushing things in from uh, data flows Gen 2. Mm -hmm. And actually that's going, uh, and then that's going to the lake house. And then I'm building not the default data set, but a separate one. And I'm, I wanted to build it all in Tableau Editor 3 because I, had a, I was really actually copying one that I was doing. I'm like, I'm gonna migrate it over. A lot of measures. Didn't want to spend all my time in a browser when F5 used to be applying and now it also refreshes your browser. So the little things. So built it in uh, Tableau Editor 3. And it's been working fine. And then all of a sudden I noticed that I started getting all these error messages um, for any of those data. So like uh, that data set, I'm like what, what happened? Did something happen to the table? Well, it's a very cryptic message with a link. So I went to check it out and it just said, can't do a data type conversion. I'm like, since we're not doing any power query anymore, like what are we talking about? So it turns out, and I'll put the link in here as well, that even though we've always dealt with the nine, eight data types in SQL databases, there's a lot more and in our world, but Microsoft has some trouble right now if the original source getting pushed is one of the data types. And I'm not saying we're moving from a number to text. It's simply the options in Tableau Editor are the ones that would be in Power BI. Those aren't the same exact like types in, uh, I think, what's in Fabric. Even though they look the same from the outside, this is the same with DAX too. It's not the same exact type. But now, since it's direct lake, it just can't read it back. So it's one of those like really hidden features. You one you one never know actually about DAX and Power Query. But um, with this, this will cause an error. Because even if I'm saying, you know what, I'm actually going to change it here. Why does it say general? I want this to be a uh, a currency value. That kind of makes sense because, because um, yeah, Power Query has been the great protector of data types previously. Right. So mm -hmm. every time you bring things into Power BI, you'd use Power Query, and then it would only let you pick the acceptable data types that you would need to make your model on top of. But you're right. I mean, there is a lot of other data sources out there. You know, SQL Server, 
that there's other definitions of data types. And I believe the one link is only storing the data types that it sees from the source system sometimes. So mm -hmm. there's just going to be some cleanup there around some issues around that to make to fix that for you as, as you bring data in. One more reason why it makes more sense to have a bronze, silver, gold layer inside your lake because bringing your data in directly into an earlier layer allows you to change data types to the next layer, cleaning up, make sure it's and, right and, and ready to go for downstream things. I haven't even given you guys the kicker yet. So, but this is just one of those things that you always get aware of. It's like, okay, quick fix, right? Well, if that ever does occur in uh, a fabric, the only way to remedy it is to remove the table from the model and then bring it back in again. So if you had relationships and um, mm -hmm. everything built off, on. also you can only do that on the web. And then just to mix it all up, if you edit a, a semantic model in a third-party tool, you can't edit on the web anymore. That would make sense because you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to do yeah, everything yeah, yeah. in a third-party tool, and they're going to try and protect you against things you can't modify in the web. It'll. I don't. That's a gap. I think they just need to close. Is this yeah. is this all connected like one lake? Like you're directly connected? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. It, I'm. I built a new model, so it's not the default data set. So in my head, I thought there was a bit of a, a separation there, but because again, how one lake or direct lake works, it it probably it's not it's not in a sense like a it's not a copy. So it has to, everything has to be apples to apples. Yeah, it just means you have to set it up correctly. I don't see any. I'm, this makes total sense to me. You know, so no, but here's the problem though in in Tableau Editor three. It doesn't do the conversion type because it doesn't yeah, it's not recognize the, it's not on the, the web. From pattern. It just means yeah, well, it a, means the other tools haven't caught up to like, what's going on. Yeah. Fine. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, there's good. To me, I don't this, see is, this is an issue. I mean, I see it as an issue is that it'll break your stuff and it won't work. So that's a problem. But like right now, it's it's hot off the press. I don't think a lot of people are like, wow, let's go build a whole bunch of things in Direct Lake. But I mean, but I would say you're. I mean, every time you use Power Query online. The last two things you should do is rename your columns so they're correct yeah. and make sure your data types are correct. So if you don't I do guess, that, then it's going to break stuff. I, I guess what's confusing to me, Tommy, is is how like the, the direct lake, lake mode just, just supported RLS. Like where's the lofty expectation that it's going to work exactly like an imported model? Right. I, I, you, you know, I mean, you're, I understand like there's some frustration, but it like it, the fact that it's not working seamlessly with tabular editor or that there are some things to iron out, I guess I'm, I'm a little less uh, I mean, angry about if it. We're, if, we're, if we're actually going to start, <laughs> yeah, that's agree. fine. One, this is, I feel like this is one of the basics ones. And the other part too is if we're going to even start rolling out initially, these are, to me, these are like the things that happen, get fixed right away. If I have a data type, they need to be the same in both tools. Well, the most important question I have, Tommy, is, have you support? Have you created a support ticket for Microsoft? Raised it up so that I, they can true. Fix it? Yeah. yeah, they don't know. They don't yeah. know, right? Yeah. Yes. No. Oh. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> Tommy has Tommy's had leaving. it already. He's left He's the podcast. Away. He's walking to the Microsoft to go tell him what's going on. So, in in other news, then, so let's go. Um, one of the other articles that came out here also recently. Let's switch gears just here slightly. Let's move over to the semantic link. An article called One Lake Integrated Semantic Models. And so this is an article that's talking about 
the semantic model and then the notebook experience where a notebook mm -hmm. can directly read what's inside one lake. So you can import data using Power BI or using Power Query or whatever the pipelines thing is, load it to lake. Now, when you use um, the integrated semantic model, you can read the one lake experience without actually having to go through the compute of the model. Very interesting. So it's like the it's like the notebook is able to understand the semantic model, understand the relationships, and go read directly information right from like reading the table directly from the lake, which makes sense. I don't need to go through Power BI or the cached, you know, direct lake query. I could I should be able to go to the same source of information, which is the same table, just inside one lake. What I think this is this is kind of a neat feature. Uh, honestly, to me, this is everywhere where I've been wanting, like I have this conversation about where does uh, one lake stand? Where is it kind of in the, in the platform or in the journey? Mm -hmm. Well, again, the best part about what they've just integrated here is I can now, in a sense, build my lake houses without having just to build them also for the sake of building uh, an analytical solution or building the reports and measures and relationships. I can just have the tables that a team can connect to, and then they can execute all of it. And it's, there's another command in here that's also interesting. It's called fabric.executeTSML. So you can actually execute TSML directly against the lake house tables. And the example they give here is, if you want some export code to export a table or export a full object from the, uh, the lake house using the definition of the semantic model, you can go in and export a full delta table from the lake house, which is kind of cool. So this will... I'm not sure if I see all the use cases yet. Maybe there's going to be some use cases here for data science or other individuals accessing those tables. But it really does feel like whether I'm going through notebooks, doing experiments, data science stuff, or other data cleaning exercises, or directly into the semantic model. Um, I like this flexibility. Again, I'm just going to keep leaning on. I think you need to have plans on how this is going to work. Because this means you can. this is one more thing you connect to anything else. And we don't want to have one data set take down, you know, all these different processes you're, you're, you're building. So you need to plan this out a little bit. Cool. I'm a little bit confused on this one, though. Like, is it everything in the semantic model? Like, meaning I can, I can access measures or is it just the relationships in the tables? That's a good question. They didn't go that far in the, in the article. Tommy, did you see that in the yep. article there? And, and well, what is, this is and not then, really the semantic model, though. This is the this is the lake, the one lake. Yeah, but Seth's asking is like if there's a measure on yeah. top of the semantic model, and you're asking for information out of the table with part of the semantic model in there, or the measure, basically, right? Do, do, are you getting that information? It it sounds the way I read this article, it sounds like you're just accessing the raw data that's in the tables. You're not, you know, combining a measure or two into the information there as well. I think you can even get shortcuts. Uh, there's a documentation link. And once you sh uh, have that ability to connect to it, you can export the uh, one uh, lake house. You can look at the shortcuts. So I imagine those would be available. So isn't this very similar? Like, is this a um, business side way of like, I'm going to connect to multiple data source, do ATL in Power BI, create a model, and then that's what's going to be exported to one lake? And then I access it because that's like, how I read it. But then like, I wouldn't want to use this model for my enterprise stuff because to your point earlier, like 
Mike, I have bronze, silver, gold, or I have some process for Correct. taking multiple data sources, curating data, creating facts and dimensions, and then plugging into that with my model. Correct. How, like the only difference between that and this is the relationships between the model tables, I guess. I had to play with it a bit more. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I have this grand vision in my head where we know where we I know really, your grand vision. I know, yes, yeah, yeah. Like again, not uh, data types, but honestly, though, this makes more sense than doing the semantic link with a Power BI data set, right? Because you're kind of adding this layer now where the business is controlling that, called the gold extra, where it's already the clean to refine tables. And not, not even assuming that. I don't think it's. That, yeah. I don't think. I don't think it's even that level, though. Like I think you're actually. To me, this feels like a feature that is more of a. We're still trying to figure out what the data is doing. Like this may be a business unit where you give them access, or they're doing their own thing, right? To me, this feels very much prior to a central BI team, central BI team taking over the data set things. This is the step before that, or you're exploring or experimenting with things. This is where this is occurring. So I don't think this is coming from a central team. Yeah, once we get farther, not reading that like that at all. I'm reading it a completely different way. Yeah, I don't. I so, don't know. well, and like I said, until, until the start people rolling out, I, honestly, I, I wasn't even thinking that. I'm like, oh, great, they'll have a clean data set for data scientists. Perfect. But, well, maybe there's a lot of use cases, Mike. So. All right, let's move on to some of our main topic for today. So let's uh, transition on over to our main topic, which is really around uh, Microsoft Fabric Adoption Roadmap. So let's jump into the article here. Kind of initial reads on this one, um, change management. Let's, let's maybe define change management a bit here at the beginning. Seth, maybe give me kind of a quick, you know, what's, what's the lens of Seth look like when you say, when I hear the word change management, what does... What is the definition of Seth? Can I give us an intro around what change management looks like? Oh, I think you're muted. I am muted because I'm got the head cold, coughing, sneezing, all that kind there of stuff. There you go. Trying to, trying to hold it back. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. There you go. I think we've uh, we've we've talked about change management. I think on the like on, uh, the dev level, right? Like yes. as, as we're creating reports and you know the business is going to come with new things to to request and enhance and instantly come up with while we're developing and and the need for it there but i think where this article obviously coming from the adoption roadmap uh and on the higher enterprise level dives into um change management across the organization mm -hmm. right? and that's where i think there are there are multiple different points where a lot of it is people centric, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking about process changes and and the article kind of alludes to giving some insights or some uh, asking some questions and driving towards helping people um, implement these new adoption strategies potentially yeah. in at, in areas where people are already doing uh, maybe they're the wild west of Power BI or already have a very solid way in which they consume data, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have my Excel exports and that's what I use or yeah, we correct. use SSRS and I don't want your fancy <laughs> stuff. 
So I, I think it walks through those different areas and, and we can talk through each one of them um, related to uh, what change management looks like and what are the pieces you need to kind of toggle uh, as you're trying to change uh, the behaviors of an organization to be more effective related to data culture and utilizing the business intelligence tools, obviously, a la Power BI. Mm -hmm. In the beginning part of the article, it talks a little bit around there are types of change to manage. And I think this is, resonates very true with organizations that I've been helping them walk through Power BI changes as well. One of those types of changes is a process level change. The second is a solution level change. Yeah. And I think these are I think it's a very good distinction to break apart process and solutions. So maybe we should talk about these kind of things. Have have you guys observed process level changes that are required in organizations? And do you have any, any examples of those process changes that you have seen or needed to be implemented? Tom, you want to... The biggest ones were always for me on the easiest ones were migrations, right? Where we're, we're moving everyone from this tool to another tool. Like it was all around the a technology. When That's a solution was, change. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm asking about process changes. So a sure. process change is we go to our, you know, business object universe and we let people just dump Excel sheets, just whatever that is. Or... We, uh, a process level change might be something around workspace management, right? You've opened up Power BI, it's loaded up in, in multiple people's um, environments, and there is 10 admins on every workspace. You're like, well, I'm not sure if that is really what we should be doing. And when you, lead, when you read guidance around like how do you administer the workspace management of things, right? That might cause some, well, we probably shouldn't do that. We should probably have one admin, one member and then a whole bunch of contributors to a workspace you know so actually it's trying to use the workspace as a control mechanism for security um another one that i'm thinking of here is content ownership um i think we've talked about this on the podcast a lot someone makes a data set and someone wants to build a report on top of that data set who owns the data set who owns the report and i think a lot of times i hear in organizations especially from those central teams that have been traditionally doing things centrally. They're like, well, we make the data set. We don't want anyone building reports. Well, then you don't want self-service. So to me, there's, there's a lot of elements here of like, we, there needs to be direct communication. That is, if some team builds the central data set and you're gonna allow people to build reports on them, the people building those reports, they could do things that the numbers are not reported correctly. That's up to them. It's their responsibility. That business unit is going to be owning the responsibility of those numbers. Someone's going to own, there's a, there's a handover or an exchange of responsibility during that, that interchange. And I think that's important here to be able to, to define when you're exchanging responsibility in this data process. It's hard. Yeah. I think the two that stand out to me are like, I, I kind of look at the first four bullets as enhancements to uh, solutions, right? Like sure. uh, we're going to go from more of a central team to um, sharing the responsibility of uh, people within the organization and you needing to find departmental experts that are going to start generating your own reports, right? And we'll help guide you, you know, and, and teach them how to use the tools, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but where do you go for 
X, Y, Z, uh, who's going to, you know, how do you submit a request? Like what people in an organization need to know where to go. Otherwise mm-hmm. they're, they're going to have questions and they're going to solve it on their own. The, the, the largest process level one that I've directly encountered <laughs> multiple times. And I think why it gets its own five extra sub bullet points <laughs> are the ones around, um, changing from one reporting tool to another like power bi right and especially when it's in the form of we always get our our reports emailed to us right in in some sort of file we always export to reporting services paginated reports we oh you know like in the form that people have always been you know consuming which is just static i i've seen the most pushback uh, around like don't mess with my you know standard stock way of getting things and i think that's why they have like multiple different bullets underneath the migration from other analytics products to they say fabric but power bi right as a reporting tool yes um and that's where i think it's really important to define what that process is and what are the artifacts that can come out of that in in the change that's and why you're going to progress from just you know a static way of doing things or consuming information to an on-demand one and and one right off the bat is listen like yes we can have a a system that generates you know five thousand reports and emails it to everybody in the organization yeah we also know we also know that only two percent of the organization actually looks at the report so we're our efficiency is two percent right? Like that, that's a waste of resources and time. Mm -hmm. If you are interested in this report, you can access it right here by this link and creating a centralized location, which the Power BI service does even better in apps, right? Like that's a compelling change from, yes, it's not going to show up in your email. There is nothing different than you looking in your email or opening up Teams or opening up Power BI, right? Yeah, true. That's where your reports live. Your whole world doesn't need to revolve around email so like it's those types of conversations i that like are that like one point by point by point yeah. where there's a reason why you want to make this change right the benefit is we don't we're we're going to save a lot of money in in cost of generating things and we're still going to provide you a central portal where you can go access this even in a better way mm-hmm. if you still want paginated we can provide that right but it's an on-demand model as opposed to this older model of like well we can't service you and give you these reports unless we start at midnight because our our systems won't allow us to generate all these reports at the same time. Yeah. Right? And it's now physically we have limitation. those capabilities. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you make a really good point in there. One, I think you're making the allusion to it. It's the alluding, idea that... Alluding to it? Alluding to it? <laughs> Hopefully alluding not to the it. illusion. No, <laughs> alluding to it. Sorry, wrong word. But you're alluding to the idea of... We were very used, a lot of organizations are used to emailed, static, generated lists of data, just kind of pushing data out to people and saying, here you go, have at it. I think in the new world here, we're talking about more of a a responsive on-demand need where this cube or this report or this model will always be up to date. And when you need it, you go visit it. As opposed to a push method, you're doing more of a pull method. Go get what you want. As opposed to here, I'm just going to keep pushing junk to you and your emails because it it it, it just seems very inefficient, right? To your point, yeah. And that's Mike, a really yeah. big one. 
I'm really glad you made that distinction with the, the solution versus the process because this, yeah, the solution is always easy to sell. Um, I think part of those migrations are they, there is a need, maybe it's just to get everyone all going the same direction across the teams, but it's so difficult to commute or it's, it's much harder for anyone to see the same value of, well, we're going to switch tools or, you know, we're, we're all migrating to this great new feature. So, I'll invest the time and my team to do so. Uh, um, but if it's those small minor changes that we all know or what are kind of more in the background, for uh, one of the biggest ones I, I could think of was just moving people off of workspaces and go to Teams uh, apps and just how one of the organizations did it. They're like, well, we've been fine. Like no one's complained about viewing reports in the workspace. Correct. The K. Um, and that the other part too is that they're only they're as happy as where where they where they are. So it's like there's something called Power BI apps, and then you're trying to sell them, but at the same time, it's a longer process, especially when they're like, I'm already happy, or there people are content. So part of what the article says, but what I've always seen is it is the communication, the communication, the communication, any change management um, initiative that's going out to me always has a communication plan 30 or I don't want to say everything's different, but there is a much longer time of planning it out. I've rolled out some of these, like they were, we were releasing a product, like the next Apple iPhone, like, Hey, in two months, we're doing this, uh, this change, we're going to apps. Okay. We're going to keep speaking about this. Yep. Um, just to let everybody know that it was co coming down. So for me, it's about that communication with people and it's about then trying to sell the value. So we've kind of talked about, I think I, I agree with that one, Tommy. I think your comment leads us into like the next section in the article, which starts talking about uh, addressing the changes that you're talking about incrementally. And I think I have observed this. If you change too much all at once, everyone freaks out. And like, whoa, this is so different. There's no way I could learn all this. I'm too busy to learn all the new things. And I think this is, um, this works in businesses. This works in all kinds of other areas outside of just doing Power BI adoption. But I really do think it's important to use this next section, really go through these steps, right? Define what is changing, describe the impact of the change, because I think that really helps people identify like, hey, we're doing like, this is going to save us money. It's going to save us time. Like to your point earlier, Seth, right? There's, there's some communication points that go along with why we're doing this change management. Then identify our priorities because that's another an alignment piece. Like, hey, the, the organization has decided to go this direction. This is why we're going this direction. Plan on implementing the change as, you know, pieces and it may be multiple steps and then create an action plan for each phase. So it's really, to your point, Tommy, being methodical, communicating often. Here's what we're going to do. Here's why we're doing it. Here's the action plan. Here's the, the different milestones we're going to hit to get there. It's it's very important. And without this, I think it, a lot of these initiatives flop. I, I do like the distinction between the two because uh, on some on some levels, I don't think you may even have to deal with process level change, right? Like if you already yeah. you you're, you already have your you know, central or decentralized team or a mix of both and people are working within Power BI, right? Like you could have the Wild West going 
and mm-hmm. really solution level changes are are really where change management needs to be applied because there there's a lot of confusion that can that can happen in solution level changes as well and i i'm sorry i apologize because i kind of i was thinking through the section on addressing change incrementally and a lot of the bullet points i actually made were in the next section which is called communicating effectiveness of the change or the communication of those changes you know what's changing why it's changing when it's changing any other further context as well there as i'm reading this oh go ahead sorry no i was just going to outline some of the solution level changes that they that oh yeah go ahead kind of um because we're looking at it but (laughs) the audience probably isn't at the same time but like some some examples of solution level change are like calculation logic right underneath kpis and measures um those are going to change, right? Like if people rely on them or have understood all of the nuance underneath the calculation, and then you're like, no, actually, we're going to make it like this. That that can be very disruptive. Mm-hmm. Um, how master data is working, business attributes are mapped, grouped, data freshness, right? Like how often a report gets updated, yeah. um, advanced analytics concepts. And this is where I think we're going to talk a lot about communication, but like we've we've talked at nauseum about just simple report representation of a visual right like yeah. this is a challenging visual now you throw in advanced analytics and some of the things that now there's this model and what this does is you know trying to explain that to a business totally in in a simplified manner takes a lot more communication mm-hmm. um so uh, and then it goes on like changes in the presentation, right? Styling colors, formatting, type of visualization. This is where we're huge proponents of themes, right? Creating a standard way in which people look at and consume data because yeah. that, it, that can important. be very disruptive, right? Like all of a sudden like, hey, yeah. we hired a new guy and his name is Tommy Puglia. And Tommy just built a brand new report. And then people oh, look yeah. at it and they're like, oh my gosh, like this looks nothing like <laughs> anything. There's no visual language. Yeah. Where do I go? And especially um, if so, you're coming so out of a like central that. team, I think this is even more important when that central team is producing these things, right? Everything that yeah. comes out of that central team should kind of look and feel the same. And you should be able to write documentation about one report that kind of illuminates the patterns across all reports. The buttons should look the same. The visual style should look, the, I think it really helps from a consistency standpoint to have that where where have you in in any of these bullet points have you guys gotten bit bitten or seen in organizations that are like the biggest ones that got changed without proper change management that caused the biggest strife because this the, the outcome of not having um and it's really like communication and having paths of communicating i think these changes mm-hmm. is the change management solution but like man you want to see a nuke go off or like massive disruption of a whole bunch of questions getting flooded into your team. Like they're in here. <laughs> oh, totally. I think master data is one that I've found that has been particularly struggling just in general with organizations who owns what kind of data for that master information. Some companies buy tools that help manage that information. Other companies try and just collect it across the organization and put it someplace. I think master data management is a very difficult process. Um, because if you think of, and, and where I got burned or where I've seen people getting burned is you have one row of data in that, but every column in that row of data may be owned by a different team. You, you sell, you know, a product, a widget, whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. There's lots of teams potentially in charge of various aspects of that product. And so you need multiple teams to kind of work together to define 
what is it that you're selling? And that's hard to do to coordinate across multiple teams and, and keep it up to date. It always gets out. Of, it always seems to get stale for some reason. What about you, Tom? Um, dude, I don't, I, this is maybe one of the easiest answers I've had. <laughs> and, um, but it's definitely off of me, the measure changes or business logic changes mm. to calculations. Yeah. Um, what is a customer? How do we, oh my how do we actually calculate this, this, me- like define the metric, right? And then it changes. And I, right. Yeah, like, so true. it's taking us just enough time to come to an, uh, an agreement. Right. And, uh, especially too, like with legacy tools, like, well, we were able to do this in Excel. No problem. Why is it so slow here? What, what's causing the issue of it not being correct here? I thought power BI was this. <laughs> uh, you know, I, and I have heard that before. Like, like this was supposed to be better. And, but anyway, but um, honestly, just those little, those slow changes, like, Oh, well, uh, Fred's now on the uh, Northwest uh, sales team now, and that's going to be effective next week. So make sure it's all quoted. You're like, cool. So then those things are constantly happening. Hopefully, hopefully you already have other things in place where, you know, like more upstream of how the data is getting ingested, mm-hmm. but there are, there's still the, the, you know, the revisions to, Oh, well don't include these people. And we want to, you know, the company's not looking at this way. So it's not so much about getting it done in time. It's, it is, being skilled in the workflow or the ability to allow that change to go through the right people. Yeah. Right. Because it has to get to you and it has to get to you effectively. One of the, uh, the one, which is probably one of the simplest, um, but I'm glad it's on here. Uh, I would put probably under changes in data freshness. Um, it's causing some of the That's most consternation mm-hmm. because like if, and the way I look at it is this, I, not just the freshness of the report, which I think a lot of people now have like putting a freshness date, like last refreshed as of, right, Um, (laughs) is conveying complex pipelines that cycle in very short periods of time that all have to execute appropriately before the Power BI refresh, right? So um, Mm. some of the challenges in there related to asynchronous refresh of Power BI versus production pipeline where you have um, multiple different copy transformation, you know, um, modification modeling of steps that have to be done prior to a certain time. And if you miss that time window, an asynchronous process won't pick up the changes. So even if you do have a freshness date, like they're trying to explain that to people in the business is very difficult. Yeah. Um, And I think leads to better solutions where if you can at wherever possible have that a seamless pipeline where all of those ETL are, uh, orchestration activities are happening and then they kick off a refresh when they're done. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you have this ambiguity where if somebody's looking for something at a certain time every day, well, that's going to depend on the load, right? Like sometimes there are yep. mitigating factors behind the scenes. So like we know Lots of things happen before just the the visual layer, yeah. and I, th- I think communicating that or not being able to simplify that to a level for the business to understand is one of the the hardest things I've encountered. I like that one. That's a good one too. Synchronization of data loading. Well, with with direct link, it'll be much easier because you just you know there's no impact. Just, well, there, there's no refresh. As model. I've heard, yeah, right, right. It just, it just works. But it's not. It, it yeah. How would you? You'd still need 
You still need to hydrate the tables underneath the yeah. the data model. You don't have to refresh them. You don't have to refresh. Them. So it, yeah. it potentially can cut out some time. So we have some processes and some customers that do this very similar thing, right? There's there is this lead time to be able to get things into a model. The model was created in, in you know in Azure, and all of a sudden now we have to go refresh data sets. Well, there was a lot of data sets. The data sets were using a lot of information, so we had to like stage them. And so everyone's like, well, we went all our data by 8 a.m. Well, we had to load, we had to load things earlier because it needed time to get right, through all that stuff. <laughs> you're backing things up. You're backing things up. So to get rid of one portion of that step would be very, very helpful in that way as well. Want to so, move on so I further think, in the article? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So let's, I, I think the, the section here, effectively communicating change and or planning, training, and support, I think would be kind of a good to move on to next. I think these are other areas that I think are lacking as I've seen in many organizations, the the planning or the communication of the plan, and then how do they actually conduct the training? I actually want to back up one second. Oh, okay, sorry. There's one there's one section in there that I think is also fantastic, and it's addressing change incrementally, because in, in there are the bullet points of defining the change, and the second point in there is describing the impact of the change. Yes, identifying priorities. What is the plan on how to incrementally implement the change and then create an action plan? Like that section is gold to me because yep. it's like, hey, before you start going, take a moment, <laughs> define define the need, describe the impact that it's having and like what is the solution? What is the new direction and why is that a good one that we're going to head down? And here's how we get there in a step-by-step fashion. I like those as well. Fashion. I think this is a great section as well. I think a lot of this stuff doesn't get skipped or we don't think about these. I mean, if you, when you step back and, and take a look at the process of what's going on, I think you can easily say, yeah, this makes sense. But when you're in the thick of building a solution, changing something, you're the one running Power BI, these don't come to top of mind. You're just focusing on getting this thing out the door. And I feel like a lot of these steps to have some guidance to step back and say, this is how we should plan out the work is incredibly helpful here. Yeah, there, and I wonder... Um, this is this is going to be a segue and, and somewhat parking lot. But recently, in our organization, we went through um, personality profiling, right? Mm -hmm. um, and one of those things that is is striking is, I think that ment <clears throat> mentality, Mike, of just actions doers. Yep, we get things done, right? Like, bam, sure, <clears throat> is um, is is a type of personality where more of like what are things that you're you're uh, prone to skipping right like communicating the change communicating things to other yep. parts of the organization well i'm yep. like we're just going to do it we're going to like here i'm going to provide the solution bam yeah. like, but it's really important to say hey guys here's here's the layout here's what we need to do here's why we're going to do it and then here's your expected timeline and then i get to go do my thing and then I'll tell you when it's done, right? Like, yeah, I, I think it leans into parts of this are like, hey, we're stronger, have stronger proclivities to like skip parts. Whereas I love the adoption roadmap. And to your point, it's really cool to go through these parts and be like, oh, well, you may not think it's important, but it is. So force yourself to go through these steps because there are parts of all of this that um, you may or may not gravitate towards, but are important across the board. This, I think, becomes extremely true when you're trying to migrate teams off of other tools into mm. Power BI. Because a lot of times, to your point, uh, 
companies get acquired, you you buy, you know, if those companies come with a different tool, right? You at some point you kind of wind up with your organization having Tableau and Click and Power BI and maybe different departments or whatever the, the, the versions of teams have different tooling. If you're trying to then make the entire company move to the same tool, now you have that kind of effort of, okay, we've got to communicate the impact of why this is changing and what we're doing, why this is requiring new workloads here. And then it, some people will love it and be like, okay, this is great. I get what I need and we can move on. But other people will just not be happy with those changes. And you know, they they make a choice to stay with the company or move on to someplace else where they can use their skills they've already learned in these other tools. Yeah, I, that's certainly a point in here, and and I think way at the bottom, <laughs> way at the bottom for some reason is executive invest. Like, make sure you you're not doing this in the silo, right? Like, you need to use executive support. Yeah, but it, that's not to say that organizations can't use multiple tools to to solve business problems. True. Right? If if the value is an is an, enough of value is there to say, yeah, no, this this department can still use this tool and we want it that way because, you know, we are servicing a particular product for a customer and this is, this is what we're going to like keep doing as opposed to do a migration into Power BI or whatever the case may be. So it's worth it for us to have a, you know, aspect of our organization where we have resources that mm -hmm. understand and know how to use that tool, right? Because yeah. the other part of this is, um, if you if you can get alignment on tool sets and technologies, and everybody starts to learn them, then then you have a lot more bandwidth across the board, right? Like you're not silo, you're not putting yourself at risk for you know an area that just held on to their tool, and now two people left, and nobody knows how to support it. That's yep. the worst thing that can happen to a business. Yeah, right. Totally. And one of the reasons why you get these cross broad kind of things that say, all right, like we're, we're taking a concerted effort. We're looking at like which tools and technologies we want to use. And we've, we've chosen these for these reasons and, yep. and now we're going to move on to them. Yeah. Well, so that, that raises an interesting point though, because it's probably like the origin of when those changes are actually going to play, because there are some changes that you may want done. You're like, this is just be a better process that, um, you're, it's either not going to be a winning a value or it's not worth it. It's like, oh, I really wish if everyone, you know, labeled things a certain way. Obviously, we get too granular. And I think especially that those who are knee deep in the best practices, we also know that's not really the case. The point being, when these changes are going to get rolled out, both the ones that are going to be all fancy and um, you know everyone's going to notice and the ones that are just seem to be more work there needs to be not just communication with downstream on those who are affected but with your coe on with your coe but also with your boss too on what are those initiatives that you're going to make people do so at least you have that buy in too i have had a lot of hard conversations uh, with my bosses where I, there are some things that I, I just thought would be a better way, but you know, she knew that all the other battles trying to be fought at that time too, which is there always are sometimes not everything is completely practical. Well, I, I think, I think if I look through these like next two sections around effectively communicate change and planning, training and support, both of those areas, as, as I'm thinking through this, by going through and communicating what's changing, 
why it's changing, when it's changing, this gives time for people to react and push back a little bit. And I think there is this normal feedback loop of, here's what we're changing, here's why we're doing things new. People need to ask questions to get alignment, to get on board with the direction. So you need, like, this is the same way I build reports. I don't, it doesn't make sense for you just to go out and build a report all by yourself and come back to a business unit and say, here's your report, this is what you asked for. Because if you don't ask for their engagement along the process, you're going to build, what you heard them say is a different interpretation of what they need. And I've also had a lot of times when building reports, again, taking the report experience and translating this over to Power BI migrations, the report experience, you kind of have to lead people along a journey. Here's what we're going to do. These are the insights. Here's why we're going to put these visuals on the page. As you walk people through that journey, I think you can get closer to a report that people are happy with. In the same way, I see this as a very similar solution. The more you communicate with people, the more you can get alignment all throughout the process. And that way, at the end of the solution, they're like, oh, I get it now. I understand why we're doing workspace deployments this way. I understand why we're using apps now because I understand the nuances of security and how we're going to try to use that. So I think a lot of this is when you're communicating change, it really helps because many organizations I walk into, they say, yeah, we're good at, we're, we're already doing Power BI, we're good at it. But when I ask basic skill sets around things, there there's not skills there. There's not the general knowledge we would need to say, these are the thresholds by which your company needs to have in order to be effective in Power BI. We ask people about filter context. They don't know what that means. Why are you using all these implicit measures? There's a whole bunch of implicit measures on reports. Well, we just it just works. Understood, but that's a very fundamental layer of understanding. We want to bring the knowledge of your team higher up in the levels to to get to a level where you know you understand why and what you're doing. So the training and support is also very important here because you're going to find there's going to be gaps in your team's knowledge around where you are to where you want to be. Yeah, I think the 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 nugget you were that struck me is like when we're talking about communicating these changes, I think there's a significant difference between um, everyone already agrees change needs to happen, and this is this is a good article and a good litmus for like you to go down to figure out like how do you strategically go about that change mm-hmm. versus you poking on like um, the other part where someone's pushing for change to happen. Yes. Because you've learned these things and nobody else yet is on that bandwagon yeah, of like, true. yeah, we need to make these changes. Because I think those are two different things <clears throat> when we talk about looking at this article, because you need that buy in first before you're going to be able to go like down the vast majority of these routes. Now, like, yes. can you can you modify your own solution? Can you apply change management to some of the solution? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but on a higher level. Mm, it's gonna it's gonna be a rough road (laughs) but i and i think by rough road what i mean though tommy is uh, like to your point you brought up like uh you bringing these changes to you know someone above you and and them saying it's not the right time um i i take that in two ways right uh one is that person saying great idea and in the back of their head they're like nope (laughs) right or it's great idea. It's it isn't the right time from a like all this stuff happening within the organization that you're not aware of, blah 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 blah. But then the follow up that to that should be let's plan for this because if it's not the right time and I agree with you, 
then we have to prep for when it is the right time, right? And that's why you would start to go down, like investing a little bit of time to start planning out, okay, yeah, these, these changes absolutely need to happen. Put Start putting together, you know, the, the plan a little bit. You know, that's that area of like, um, I think it's under address incrementally, right? It's just going to be a longer incremental change. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be like we're going to condense it and gangbusters, we got to go do it because the organization can't handle that. So maybe it's like, okay, Tommy, that's great. Define what's changing, right? Describe the impact of the organization. We'll identify what the priorities are. And then we plan how to incrementally add it, right? Yeah. And the in the add it part could be one that has to be phased in because maybe your organization is rolling out three apps, right? That they expect the organization to like, everybody needs to start using this stuff. And it's like, oh my gosh, like now we're going to try to throw in a fourth change management of like this other application, this other tool, like probably not a good time because you're going to get lost in the mix, right? So those sorts Mm -hmm. of things I understand, but I wouldn't accept like, oh, that's a great idea. Now's not the right time. And then just like, that's the end of the conversation because that probably leads to the fact that they don't agree with you. (laughs) And there's, you, you have to understand there will be disagreement. And I think the idea here is it will happen. Uh, you need to make sure you have business alignment. And this is what the note here, the caution note here inside involve executive leadership does. It says caution resistance to change from executive leadership is often a warning sign because there needs to be stronger business alignment. It, mm-hmm. The business alignment is needed between the business and the BI strategies in this scenario. Consider specific alignment sessions that are only talking about change management actions with only executive leadership. That is that is a very well-crafted statement, and I would agree when executive sponsors, and this is where I think Matthew Roach talks about this at length, about if you want a sex, successful BI deployment, it starts with executive management. Someone at the top has to under identify, this is the direction we're going to go, and to your point, Seth, there is a roadmap. It may not be as fast as you want, but there is a roadmap. There are certain milestones that we will work on, learn, teach people and we will get forward towards as we go through this process. That's really good. Yeah. I think ultimately like, and we're running out of time. So like skipping through like involving stakeholders, involving people in this process too, right? Important. It's not like you can just be like, Hey, uh, Tommy, me and you, we're going to go do, we're going to change everything and here's the plan. And then like, bam, (laughs) like, Hey, rest of the organization, here's what we're doing. It's like, Whoa, Whoa, what? Yeah. So involving people early and often is important to get alignment. But I think the, the, the important parts about handling resistance is in involving your executive sponsor, right? Like in having that person, is absolutely paramount in these larger organizational efforts. And it's not because you're going to butt heads. There are going to be people that don't agree with you, and that's fine. But if if everything in what you're doing is laid out to solve the business problems and you have agreement and alignment that this is the strategy that's going to solve those business problems, then it's just a matter of like working through those issues that people that are resistant to this change have so that you're bringing them along for the ride. You don't mm-hmm. want to create enemies in of this because like the reason you're going through change management, developing or readjusting processes is because in the long term, 
you and the organization believe that this is better or going to be more efficient for the organization. And like to, to this other point of having, having a community and uh, uh, everybody working in, around the same tool that can work with the business but still work in enterprise is one of Power BI's biggest strengths. Is there some technical learning that has to happen on the business front end? Yeah, but when you unify that conversation across an organization, uh, it's so much more effective because everybody starts speaking the same language, right? Everybody starts to work around the like. Here's how data works in our ecosystem. Here's how you know we're going to implement a new process. Oh, that's not really a big deal because we're all familiar. So, like raising the data culture and the data understanding and literacy is part and parcel like do the business that uh, do does everybody in the business understand how to use the tool sets that are provided to them mm-hmm. and then they learn more about the back end parts of it to some degree um and i think that's one of the most valuable things about being able to like leverage these new technologies and new reporting tools across the whole swath of the organization i agree with that as well as we kind of wrap here, I know we're kind of at time here. We'll kind of do last thoughts here, just a moment. Um, there's a lot more other, we didn't cover the entire article. There's a couple other uh, really good points here to talk about identifying and engage your promoters of what you're doing. I think that's important. And then identifying and engaging those detractors, probably even more so important, find out who's going to resist you and engage them. Have those conversations, understand their concerns, let their concerns be heard so you can bring them in and, and address those concerns so that way they can also adopt and drive with this one. Um, the last two pieces in the article are talking about questions to ask. Highly recommend reading through that. Uh, they're talking through areas of, are there teams and responsibilities for data management? If so, where is that in the organization, right? Um, do people create Excel reports and feel threatened or frustrated by doing using new BI tools, right? These are good questions to kind of get a, a head read around as you're adopting, as you're transitioning, these are the these are the questions that are going to cause friction. Identify are are there problems here you need to identify. And then lastly, I'll point out one thing that's been very well done in a lot of the adoption roadmap is there's always this a, a method of going through different um how do you respond to these different in the in change management? How does your company respond to change management? And there's a leveling assessment, a 100 level all the way up to 500 level. And I really think these are really good for organizations to go through and, and actually go through each of these sections and say, where do we feel like we fit? Do we fit at a 200 or 300 level? And because when you identify those things, these are short bullet points and you can kind of see where you are maturity wise. You're not going to go from a 100 to a 400 in one day. It just won't happen. But you need to identify where you're at and then start implementing some you know, change management around it to get yourself to the next level up. So I think those are also really good as well. Uh, in this conversation, let's just kind of transition into final thoughts. Tommy, give us some of your final thoughts around this article. What what stood out to you or what would you say would be your, you know, nugget that you came away from this one? You know, I, I've felt this way for a while, but the ironic thing is this skill set, and this is the skill set to be able to do this, has nothing to do with Power BI. Um, at the end of the day, of course, it's around Power BI, but it's just our ability dealing with the technology and being able to effectively communicate. No one knew that they were signing up for that too when they went to business <laughs> intelligence. Um, that because I know that was the last thing that I thought was like, oh, I 
what tools do I have? Like, uh, you know, like, do, am I going to use Trello for communication? How do we roll that out? That becomes a, uh, um, that becomes a, a skill that you need to get because that's such a big part of what we do. Good point. So any kind of final, uh, final thoughts for yourself? Yeah, I, I would scroll to the bottom of the article and and hit the maturity levels, right? Uh, because one of the one of the great things about those, and, and there's many different flavors of this for for different conversations, but it it allows you to identify and and get agreement on where where you are, right, with other people in the organization. And if you know where you are, then it also alludes to like where you could go if you invest in time. Um, in in these types of activities. So these are big efforts. Create a plan. It doesn't need to be exhaustive. Just start, you know, have an idea of what, what are the biggest movers and prioritize, like what are the biggest things within your organization that could use some change management and start somewhere. Um, it's an incremental thing, um, but but I, it, it's important to start somewhere. That's a great point. I think my final thoughts on this one are, are really around Getting the buy-in of executive leadership, I think that really becomes very important to organizations. Plus, a lot of times I see the person in the middle, the BI management team, the, the leader of Power BI, isn't necessarily always the executive sponsor. So sometimes you're managing up a little bit. And by, if you're going to move this direction, if you're going to put, provide good practices around moving to Power BI, it makes you look really good to come into your boss or your executive sponsor and say, here's a plan. Here's what I'd like to do. Here's what I'm going to communicate. Here's my, what we're doing, why it's efficient. Like that looks really good to them because they like, look, Tommy, Seth, you've got, you've got these things under wraps. You know what you're doing. You have a plan in place on how you're communicating and what you're going to do to address people that are proponents and detractors from your new world that you're going to produce. That's very important to acknowledge that that happens. And that way you can use that to your advantage and say, look, I've already tried to think about these things. I may not have everything, but you can use a lot of this article to kind of give you an outline of here's what we should be thinking about as we move more towards Power BI. Yeah. Great article. Super good learning there. Really appreciate this one. Uh, that's a, The link is in the description as well as it's also in the chat here a couple of times. So everyone, thank you very much for listening and joining us today for this conversation around change management. I hope you are going to change what you're doing today or this week. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, please change someone else's mind and have them come listen to the podcast. So we'd really recommend, a, really would love a recommendation from you if you found value from this conversation today. Tommy, where else can you find the podcast? You can find us uh, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a rating. It helps us out a ton. Do you have a question, an idea, or a topic that you want us to talk about in a future episode? We'll just head over to Power BI Tips slash podcast. And finally, join us live every Tuesday and Thursday, uh, 7.30 a.m. Central, and join the conversation on all Power BI Tips social media channels. Excellent. With that, thank you all very much. We appreciate your time today, and have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week.